Anybody ready to celebrate Easter in a couple weeks? Come on. It's going to be an awesome weekend here at Venice Church. We'll have our normal schedule. We will celebrate Easter together. And I just remind you that next week is Palm Sunday, and that ushers in Holy Week. And we're going to have a handful of things that you can engage with just to make sure you absorb that season. And one of the things that we've been doing is these midweek lives that Jasmine and I have been doing because we're in the season of Lent. It's that 40-day period from Ash Wednesday until Easter Sunday, not including the Sundays. Those 40 days where we kind of intentionally walk ourselves up to Easter, and we don't kind of just rush into it. And the week of Holy Week, there'll be a handful of things happening. We'll have a Monday, Thursday experience here in the building, and it's similar to one we've done before. There'll be several stations. It just kind of, it's a self-guided thing that allows you just to kind of absorb and prepare your heart for Easter. And then we'll have an online thing for uh, Good Friday because we don't do a live Good Friday thing anymore just because weekend is so full for our teams. But we are excited to celebrate Easter. And we're going to do something that, we, that we've never done. Easter's kind of falling right in the middle of this time through the book of Romans that we are in together. And so the Easter Sunday, we're gonna be in my most favorite chapter in all of scripture, Romans chapter eight. That's four people that have read Romans eight and are excited about that opportunity. Uh, It's gonna be awesome because we just felt like what better time for Easter to fall than in this season when we're walking through the book of Romans, which is one of the most powerfully detailed explanations of the gospel that we have. That, and if you haven't been with us, we're in a series that we're calling The Letter. And, and kind of verse by verse a little bit, chapter by chapter, thought by thought, we're walking through this letter that Paul penned, not to a group of believers that he knew, not to a, a church that he planted, but to a movement that was in this hub, this amazing urban city called Rome. And Paul had heard of the legendary things that God was doing in this community. And you see him write this super deep desire to go and be with Rome. But if you ask me, when he puts pen to paper and he starts writing this book, I think he's writing as a man who's pretty confident, I'm not going to get there. Like I keep getting myself in trouble because I just keep talking about Jesus no matter what the consequence. And so I'm probably gonna never get there. And in case I don't make it to you in person, let me say some stuff that y'all deeply need to hear. And we've been walking through this book together and I hope it's helpful. I hope it's teaching you some things. I hope it's solidifying your faith. Because the three concepts that Paul kind of weaves in and out of in this book are three of the most important, no, not the most, three of the most, the most important things. There are three, the three most important concepts that any human has to understand. That we need to be saved, how we are saved, and the result of us being saved. There's no more important thing that any human will learn than those three things. Come on, somebody. No matter what you do in life. Number one, Paul's saying humanity needs to understand you need saving that you, you might think you're okay, but you're not. You might think you're good, but you're not. You might be experiencing some fun, but fulfillment only comes through Jesus Christ. And he's trying to help us understand that we all are in need of a savior because we all have chosen to sin. That the way Paul puts it is humanity made an exchange. We exchanged the truth of God for the lie of the enemy. Sin entered the world and it affected and infected everything. And that sin separated us from the God who formed us, made us, created us, and desires to live in relationship with us. And because you sinned and I sinned, then maybe we all have sinned, but maybe it's been different ways and in different seasons, but all of us have fallen short. 
Not a single one of us is perfect. And y'all look at me, we didn't just make bad choices. There's a word that we have to get comfortable using again in the church, it's sin. Because that's what scripture calls it. And it, it has separated us from God. And apart from God, there is no life. And more bad news is, you can't do nothing about it. In and of yourself, you can't fix it. The consequences of this sin and the ramifications of it, you can't be good enough, you can't get enough degrees, you can't make enough money, you can't do enough nice things. There's nothing in and of yourself that you can do to fix it. And I know humanity realizes that, so we, we started to make religion because we knew we needed to get back to God. Religion is about us trying to get back to God. The gospel is God coming to us. He says, you can't do anything about it, but the good news is Jesus has already done everything that needs to be done about it. That the one and only perfect son of God came into this world and he lived the sinless life that none of us could ever live. And then he paid the penalty of our choices. He took the wrath of God that had to happen. But instead of that wrath falling on you and me, he put it on his son on a cross and he died for your sake and mine. He died so that we could live. Anybody excited about the gospel in the room at 11 or 12, 15 today? Come on, somebody. Yeah. And it is through his grace when we look at that act in faith and believe in it that we experience salvation, that we are made right with God. The benefit of us believing in what Jesus did and trusting in what Jesus did and having faith in what he did is we are now made right. Our sin is dealt with. It is removed. And what separated us from him has been separated from us. And now we get to have peace with God. And it's not just that we get to go to heaven someday. We get to know God today. That we get to experience him and walk with him and know him intimately. And that's the benefit of it. And last week we moved into Romans chapter 5 and 6. And we were reminded that, that Jesus isn't enough just to forgive us of our sin. He's enough to free us from our sin. That Jesus didn't separate you from your sin only for you to continue to pick back up your chains that he is enough, that he fixed the problem and he gives you enough power to break the pattern, to stop going back to those sinful behaviors that are destructive, that are destroying your marriage and your finances and all the things, because that's what sin does. We're gonna see that again today. Sin has no other destination, but look at me, death. That's the only place it can end. And we were reminded, I mean, we're gonna walk in this freedom. And I had planned to move on into chapter seven and maybe even start a little bit in chapter eight this week. But as I went back in to, to, to dive back into the scriptures again, and when I went, if you're, gonna, if you're gonna look into one chapter, you always need to go to the chapter before and the chapter after because that helps you give it some context. And when I look back into the latter part of chapter six, some words just jumped off the page that this whole concept of freedom is also connected to something else that, that we have to have a conversation about that we have to recognize and, and absorb because if we don't, we'll never step into the full life that the gospel intends to give us. And so I'm gonna go ahead and give you the message in a sentence right off the bat. So that way, if you're tired because you stayed up and watched that game last night and one blue team beat another blue team, you can just go on to sleep. We ain't gonna go there. Any Somebody said, are you gonna leave this in the sermon? I said, it would be less tense for me to stand up and talk about politics in that game last night. But this is, all right, come back to me, come back to me. But this is what I think is very evident as Paul's unpacking some truth in Romans 5 and 6, that because of the gospel, 
we live free from the control of sin, but in complete surrender to God. Leave that on the, on the screen for a minute. Go wide, y'all. I want everybody to see that. That we live free from the control of sin, but in complete surrender to God. Read it. Absorb it. Because this is super important. That, that if we don't understand this concept, we'll never step into the fullness of what God has for us. That it's, yes, that because of the gospel, because of what Jesus has done, we have been separated from our sin. We once lived in sin, but now if we're going to experience all that God has, we have to walk in complete surrender. That these two things are deeply connected to one another. These two concepts, these two thoughts, these two truths, one is very dependent on the other. And I'm going to show you. Go back into Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, I'm going to start with verse 12. Paul says in verse 12 of Romans 6, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. And do not offer any, somebody say any. Do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons of unrighteousness, but as those who are alive from the dead, ain't that good? But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. Did you see it? So I read that again this week and, and go back into the, the latter part of verse 13 where it says, but as those who were alive from the dead, like being reminded that you, you're not different, you knew. Come on, somebody. Like, that's what Jesus did. He, he didn't make you better. He made you new. He, he brought you from death to life. And as a result now, your response to receiving his grace is to offer yourselves to God. And how much of yourselves? It says, all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for, of righteousness, that not any of yourselves to sin, but all of yourselves to God, that our response as recipients of God's grace is to give every single bit of who we are back to him, that full surrender is what God desires, and it's from full surrender that everything flows, but this is what I know. We want to be recipients of his grace, but I'm not so sure we want to always recognize his authority. And that's what it means to fully surrender. To fully surrender is to do more than just receive his grace. Look at me. To fully surrender is also to recognize his authority in all things at all times. So he says, offer all of yourself to him. So here's my question for you. What doesn't he have? What are you withholding? Because see, I, I'm like you too. Like we, we, we tend to um, not want, we love the part of that get out of hell free stuff. But that surrender, commitment, 
sacrifice, all that stuff, that's a whole other level. Come on, somebody, y'all talk to me. I know it's in church, but we can be honest today. He says, no, offer all of yourselves. Every bit of who you are has to be surrendered to God. And what we tend to do is we're a culture that loves to compartmentalize. So we got our, our work life over here and a home life over here and our hobby life over here. And, and, we, and like we compartmentalize everything. And then way over here in this little bitty drawer down at the bottom of the chest, there's Jesus. And it's like he's just one little part of our lives. But look at me. Everything I see in this scripture tells me our God does not do a little bit. He does not do partial. He is not a part-time God. He is a full-time God. He gave all, and look at me, he wants all. It's who he is. And we get so caught up in our Southern cultural Christianity to where we think we can just play these little games and Christianity and our church life is just like one little part of our lives. So when we go to church or we're around our Christian friends and our Christian folks, and see, we think this is a thing that ends in middle school. Trust me, it does not. Where we just kind of do this little game of, yeah, I'm here and then I'm there. And then, well, there's part of the things that I surrender to. But then there's other things that the Bible says that to commit to that, it's going to cost me. It's going to be difficult. It's going to make me stand alone sometimes and go against the grain of culture. And so I'm going to surrender to the easy stuff. But the hard stuff, we're just going to wait a little bit. I'll be fine. It'll all be good. God doesn't care. Yes, he does. He wants it all. All of us. And if we're going to step into the fullness of God, if we're going to step into the freedom that he has, it will be the overflow of full and complete surrender. So I ask you again, what are you withholding? What doesn't he have? Because complete surrender is more than just trusting him for your, the forgiveness of your sin. It's trusting him to shape every area of your life. Full surrender means this book is what shapes your ideas and ideals in every way. And that means every opinion you have, every position you take is formed by the word of God. Well, I just think, can I just, it don't matter what you think. Well, I just believe, it don't matter what you believe. What did God say? You ever heard that statement about that old bumper sticker? God says it, I believe it, that settles it. How useless that middle statement is. God said it, that settles it. It don't matter if you believe it. That that's, so no, ma no matter what the subject, no matter what the area of our lives, to walk in full surrender and complete surrender to God is to allow his truth to shape our opinions, our positions, our behaviors in every single way under the authority of his word. And full surrender is not choosing to put some things, the convenient things, under the authority of God and to leave a few things out on the fringes and just micromanage them however we want. Are y'all with me this morning? I'm, this ain't been a fun, this is my third time. It ain't been fun yet. But it's just true. Come on, somebody. I mean, that's, Paul, he doesn't say, offer part of yourselves. In that verse, he doesn't say, Offer yourselves to God and give some of yourselves to God or the, or the parts of yourselves that are easier, convenient. He says all the parts of yourselves. 
In all things, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Like this is a theme that Paul just doesn't say. It's woven from Genesis to Revelation where God says, if we're gonna do this thing, I want it all. I gave all for you and I want all from you because all from you is the only way for you to get the fullness of my power. And here's the thing, anything that doesn't lie under God's authority will not be used for God's purpose. And if it is not used for God's purpose, it will not have God's power. And so you're vulnerable and weak. And so Paul's saying, you can't be withholding. You gotta give him everything. Look at verse 17. It says, but thank God that although you used to be slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were handed over. And having been set free from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. Now that whole language stirs up emotions in all of us, that you are set free from sin to be enslaved to righteousness. Paul's saying you were set free from sin so that you could live in surrender to God. That I, he wasn't just moving you away from sin, he was moving you towards his standard. Moving you from something and towards something. And here's the reason why this is so important. I am deeply convinced in my spirit that when we are willing to full, fully surrender, only then will we finally be free. When we are willing to fully surrender, only then will we finally be free because only in full surrender can God put all the things in us that, that need to be there, the, 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 the power of his spirit working in us as we submitted every single area of our lives to him at all times in all things. And I think we see in scripture this pattern of, of, of surrender, out of surrender flows everything. Go to James chapter four. Look at verses seven through 10, but I want you to especially note verse seven. James chapter four, pick up with verse seven. James, the brother of Jesus, says, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. I think James is giving us the way things have to exist in order for us to step into freedom. Like there's a pattern. Go back, pull up verse seven again, y'all. I want you to see it. I don't think that these words are, are just accidental. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil. That, the only way to resist the devil is to submit to God. That the truth is, for us, resistance flows out of submission. Resistance flows out of submission that the enemy's coming for you. He wants to tempt you. And if you're gonna resist him and walk in freedom, it starts with submitting to God. Submit to God, resist the devil. So if you haven't submitted to God, I don't think you can resist the devil because without submitting to God and living under his authority and walking in his power, the devil's gonna win. Y'all with me? Say amen. Submit to God Resist the devil, draw near to God, 
and he will draw near to you. That resistance flows from submission that if we're going to be free and if we're going to be fruitful, it flows out of our willingness to fully surrender. See, that's the two things that we all want to be, right? We wanna be free. We wanna be free of those sins. We wanna be free of that temptation. We wanna be free of the things that were ruining our relationships and ruining, because sin, that's what it does. It's a nasty, dirty thing that messes us up. But if we're gonna be free and we're gonna be fruitful, it flows out of fully surrendering to God. And we watched Paul talk about the freedom last week, but now he moves into the fruitful part. Look at the latter part of verse 19, Romans chapter six, verse 19. It says, for just as you offered the parts of yourselves as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater lawlessness, so now offer them as slaves to righteousness, which leads, which results in sanctification. It's like you used to be enslaved to sin, and the result of that was all this really nasty bad things. But now that you are walking in full surrender to God, the result of that is sanctification. And there's another one of them churchy words that we've tried to avoid. And depending on what tradition you grew up in, you hear that word sanctification and it brings all kinds of ideas up to you. But let me tell you what it does not mean. When it says sanctification, it does not mean perfection. It is actually a, a form of the word holiness, which pretty much this word saying is, it leads to ever increasing holiness. It's hagiosmos is the Greek word. Y'all like that? Y'all thought I was speaking in tongues for a second. Or I had a loogie, I don't know which, is that what it sounded like? It's hagiosmos. It's basically like a, a ever increasing level of holiness. It means when we walk in full surrender to God, in full commitment to his spirit, letting him work in us and transform us from the inside out, that means there's progressive change in us that day by day by day by day, he's forming us into the likeness of his son. At Venice Church, we exist to inspire people to live in love like Jesus because we deeply believe he's our model, amen? That that's who we're supposed to look like. We're supposed to follow his example. He was the ultimate example of what it means to live the holy life. And our belief is that every single day that we walk with God, we should look a little bit more like Jesus than we did the day before. Come on. That I'm a, I look a little bit more like Jesus today than I did yesterday. And my prayer is through the power of his spirit working in me, look a little bit more like him tomorrow than I did today. And a little bit more like him the next day than that day. That progressively God is working in us to grow us into the likeness of his son. But Paul's trying to say, that thing that you want to happen in your life, it comes only through your willingness to give God everything you are and everything you have to live fully surrendered to his authority in all things at all times. Verse 21, Romans 6, verse 21. It says, so what fruit was produced then from the things you were now ashamed of? The outcome of those things is death. He said, yeah, you've always been producing fruit. There's always been produce in your life. Sin produced things that weren't good. Sin produced things that were destructive. Now, love verse 22. What powerful two words, but now. But now, since you have been set free from sin and have become enslaved to God, you have your fruit, which results in sanctification, and the outcome is eternal life. So now there's something new working in you. 
there's a new power at work in your life as you're walking in complete and full surrender to God. And the result of that is something new, something powerful. And we always know that God wants to produce new things in our lives when we meet him. On the other side of salvation, he wants to produce new fruit in our lives. We spent an entire series last year walking through the fruit of the spirit in Galatians. You remember? In Galatians, Galatians chapter five, Verse 16, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. And these are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. That Paul says in Galatians that you gotta, you gotta walk by the Spirit. And to walk by the Spirit, look at me, is to walk with the Spirit that we are walking with him, that we are now in relationship with Jesus and we don't leave him like a friend we're ashamed of when we step into a place that makes it difficult. And that's what we do. We walk into work and we leave Jesus in the car because it's a lot harder to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus at work than it is at church. And we compartmentalize and we, we play this little game where we move in between these two identities. And Jesus is saying, it's not gonna work like that. That that's not how this goes. That now you have access to me at all times. And I wanna be a part of every part of your life. I wanna be a part of your marriage. I wanna be a part of your life at the office. I wanna be a part of when you're on the golf course and when you're watching that game between them two blue teams. I wanna be a part of all of it. I wanna guide your behavior, your thoughts, at all times. And so, if we're gonna fully surrender, that means we are consciously making sure that our mind and our heart is connected to Jesus. That's why scripture says to pray continually, because you know what, full, this is what I'm, the, can, surrender is not something you do once. You make a single decision and you get saved. Surrender is a decision you have to constantly make. And I know Jesus said, take up your cross daily, but I think surrender is something that you have to do moment by moment by moment by moment. It's a conscious decision. When that time comes and you're in that meeting and it's getting heated and your emotions are coming up and you want to cuss her out, but you need to follow the spirit and not your feelings. In that moment, you got to say, I'm not going to surrender to my emotions. I'm going to surrender to his word, to the leading of his spirit. But that's a decision that you have to constantly make. It's not one you make once. It's not one that you make once a day. It's one that you have to constantly make at every moment, at every turn, at the crossroads of life on a regular basis. And to do that, you've got to stay in tune with him. Do you remember what Jesus said in John chapter 15? He said, remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. He says, we've got to stay connected. But can I just submit to you that that we have watered down what this verse really means? We've convinced when Jesus says, remain in me, he means just sit in my presence. And so we think, well, I remain in Jesus. I listen to Caleb all the way to work every morning this week. Or we even think, well, I'm remaining in God because every day I read my Bible. 
But can I submit to you, when Jesus says remain in me, he's talking about more than just sitting in his presence. He's also talking about surrendering to his authority. And if you sit in his presence without surrendering to his authority, that isn't remaining. Y'all with me? Do you see it even in that language? He's trying to remind you of the authority dynamic at play. He says, me vine, you branch. Just so you know how this thing works. That I'm the authority, I'm the source. So to remain in me is to never forget that you're the branch and he's the vine. And in order to live fruitful and free, it's not just sitting in his presence. It's surrendering to his authority. What doesn't he have? What are you withholding? What part of you are you not allowing to sit under the authority of God? What area of your life? And he finishes by saying that famous line, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And this is what I know. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. If I went up and polled everybody and said, hey, do you think Jesus wants all of you? You wouldn't say, man, I don't know. Right? No, I don't think anybody in this room would say that. None of us, if I said, hey, do you think Jesus wants to be intimately involved in every single part of your life? Do you think he wants just to have part of you and you let, let like other things have part? You would say, no, 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 no. I know that God wants all of me. So why don't we do it? I can't speak for you, but I can speak for me. Because surrender is expensive. See, this is what I know. The result of sin is death. The gift of salvation is free, but the cost of surrender is great. And therein lies the problem. Yes, sin is expensive, but can we be honest? Surrender is costly. But the difference between sin and surrender is surrender's worth it. And the result of surrender is life. What you sacrifice for Jesus will always be worth it. What you do out of surrender to him will always be worth it. Whatever price he asks you to pay, remember, he paid it first. Come on, somebody. And see, Jesus, y'all, Jesus didn't hide this from us, right? Jesus, one of the reasons why so many walked away from him is because he looked at him and said, I don't know if y'all can do this. Because y'all, y'all are trying to follow me and you get excited when I do cool magic tricks in your, in your eyes. But like I'm looking for more than people that are just fans of me. I'm looking for people who are consistent followers of me who will walk in full surrender. Luke chapter 14 now great crowds were traveling with him. So he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his very own life, he cannot be my disciple. And now let me remind you, Jesus was not saying literally we should hate our families and our lives. He was saying in comparison to your commitment to me, your commitment to everything else, it doesn't even come close. He said, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough 
to complete it. Church, look at me. Sin is expensive. It is costly, but so is surrender. If you're gonna fully surrender to God, it's gonna mean there are gonna be moments when you're really uncomfortable. There's gonna be moments when God asks you to give more than you feel like you have. There's gonna be times when it means standing all alone, all by yourself to be the one that's faithful to God and you find yourself in that position and it's lonely and it's difficult, but it's worth it. And remember, any price that you're asked to pay pales in comparison to the one he paid for you. But can I just remind you, you are not your own. You belong to him now. And that's at the heart of what Paul's trying to communicate as you move into the first part of Romans 7. Look at verse 4, Romans 7. It says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you also were put to death in relation to the law through the body of Christ. Listen, listen at it. So that you may belong to another. You belong to him who was raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions aroused through the law were working in us to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law since we have died to what held us so that we may serve in the newness of the spirit, not in the old letter of the law. He says, look, don't you, don't you remember? You were bought by the blood of Jesus and you no longer belong just to you, you belong to him. So walk in full surrender to the one who paid it all for you. That Jesus wants to be so much more than your savior, he wants to be your Lord. And I don't think it's coincidence that the first gospel message on the day of Pentecost, when Peter stepped out and delivered that message on the other side, of receiving the Holy Spirit, he very intentionally said those things. Do you remember? He says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified it, both Lord and Messiah. And this is what I've learned. A lot of people want a savior, but not a Lord. But you can't see him as savior and not let him be Lord. Because under his lordship and surrender to the full authority of Jesus Christ in your life, that's where you find freedom and fruit. And I just wonder if there's some people in the room somewhere along the way, you saw him as savior, but you've never really allowed him to be Lord. And I know it's cliche and I know you've heard it before, but he is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. He doesn't settle for partial. He wants it all. So what are you withholding? What if you refuse to, to surrender to him? Today's a great day to finally let him be Lord of everything, to give him every single bit of who you are, to trust his word as truth for every single bit of your life and to surrender right now to his Lordship. Will you bow your heads, close your eyes with me? I'm very convinced that the first time I asked that question, what are you withholding? You knew it immediately. That there was something that popped into your spirit 
right in that moment, like you knew it. There's an area of your life, there's something that you know that you've always tried to withhold, that you've yet to really fully surrender to God, that you've yet to really operate within the word, the parameters and boundaries of God's word in that area of life, and you know it. And that conviction washed over your spirit the moment that it came out of my mouth. And today is the day for you to lay it down, to let it go, to surrender it all to the Lordship of Jesus Christ to see him as more than just your savior, to allow him to be Lord of everything about who you are, all things at all times. And if you feel that stirring in your spirit and you say, Matt, yeah, I know it. There are things that I've yet to release and I know I need to. I'm gonna ask you to join dozens and dozens of people that have done it in this room all throughout our time together today. Will you just stand to your feet? You say, yeah, I've got stuff, I need to let it go. Just stand up, stand up and just stay standing right where you are. I gotta let it go. I've gotta release it. I've gotta release those things. I've tried to manage it. I've tried to hold on to it. I've tried to do it my way. I've tried to be in control. I've, tr- I've tried and I'm exhausted. It hasn't worked out good and I knew it wouldn't. And today's the day, like I'm just gonna, I'm gonna let it go. I want him to be more than my savior. I want him to be my Lord. I want to do more than just sit in his presence. I want to constantly choose to surrender to his authority. Amen. All of you who are standing, I thank you so much for your courage, for your willingness. It doesn't matter what anybody else is thinking of you right now because right now it's a moment for you and God, for you just to receive his grace and his mercy. But as you're standing, I want you to know something. That's the very area the enemy's gonna come after you really quickly. It might even be before you get out of the parking lot, definitely probably before you finish out this week. He's gonna come for that area to test you. And I want you to remember the thing that you're certain of in this moment, that in his hands is the only place that thing can be and it work out the way God desires. And what he desires is always better than what you want. Those of you who are seated, would you join those who are standing? And let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the reminders that it gives us. I thank you for the way it jumps off the page so often and just smacks me in the face. For the way it challenges my heart, God. And I pray that today we are all looking at our lives to see where are those places that we are not allowing you to be Lord. Where we're trying to interject our opinions or our emotions or our feelings instead of walking in alignment with the truth of your word. That God, if we're gonna be free, if we're gonna be fruitful, it flows out of a heart fully surrendered to you. God, you gave everything you had so that we could have life. And God, in response, to being recipients of that grace and that mercy, we return it. We give you everything that we have and we ask that your spirit would settle on us. And as we leave this place and we step into our week, give us strength and courage to follow you wherever you lead. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people said together, amen, amen. Hey, if you made any kind of decision today, it's so important that you don't try to walk this journey alone. Tell somebody. Let us know. Jump on the Vintage Church app. Hit the respond tab. Let somebody know. Find one of our community groups to connect with. And there you can find some people that will come alongside you as well to help give you the care and accountability that you need. We are so grateful you chose to worship with us today. 
We hope you have an amazing week. We'll see you next time. Give God some glory as you head out today.